0: You have been listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day 3
1: You're given the option to uh, sleep on a Tempur-Pedic mattress versus the old traditional box springs. now Let me qualify that at the same price. Okay. <laughs> I have looked into the price of the tempur vedic and I have convinced myself it can't be that much more comfortable so I still sleep on the box springs. Type. But if you could buy both for the same price and you hear all these going reviews about the comfort of the memory foam and things like that, which one would you choose? Or to or to illustrate it a, a, another way, maybe if if you're trying to make a choice between your favorite tennis shoes that feel most comfortable on your feet and wearing some wooden clogs all day long. Which one would you choose? Or maybe the option is you've got a weekend away and you can choose to go to this very nice spa and be pampered all weekend or you can go to the desert on the hottest weekend in the year. Which one are you going to choose? Now, you're thinking, those are loady questions. They are. They're questions designed to kind of get you to uh, respond a certain way. But I want you to notice that the common denominator, probably in all those questions, is the word comfort. Comfort. We're going to talk today about the cross from that standpoint. The title of the message is The Comfortable Cross. See, our society places a high value upon comfort. Like I said, you've got memory foam for your bed. You've got body-length pillows that you can rest upon. You, we you know, spend money for the air conditioning. We've got the snuggle advertisements on TV. You're getting cool this time of year, and they're going to start slamming you with that until Christmas trying to buy these you know, snuggle blankets that you wear so you can be warm. We've got some company that brings out the tissue for your nose that advertises they have lotion that is built into the tissue, so it's very soft on your nose. We have Charmin or Angel Soft, so we have something very soft on our, well, you know. We've got gel insur- inserts in our shoes so we can all be gelling. Chris says this... Is- this big emphasis on on being comfortable in our society have you noticed the tv networks have picked up on that because they know we we enjoy being comfortable so much that we'll be thankful that we don't have to do certain things that we see people do so they even developed this show that's called dirty jobs you ever watch dirty jobs have you ever sat there and really thought i wish i could do that for a living because they designed it in such a way that it is so nasty, so filthy, you know, so stinking and everything like that. The job that's being done on that show, that we're sitting on our cushy couches and we're kindly thanking God that we don't have to do that job for a living. They're playing to our desire to be comfortable. You see, the problem with that, the problem with being Overly comfortable, it's more dangerous than just adding on a few pounds. Because regrettably, as we have focused more and more on comfort, I think it has started to affect our faith also. To where we desire for our faith to be comfortable. We desire for our faith not to cost us anything. I mean, just look at what we do in church. You know, we want nice buildings with air conditioning, and heat, and you know, padded benches or padded chairs. We you know buy Bibles that have soft leather, so it'll be so soft in our hands whenever we decide to hold it. Don't hold it as much as we ought to. There's, there's all kinds of things we do trying to be comfortable, and in with that mentality, if we're not careful, we will also start to pad our theology or comfort our theology to where we make the cross of Jesus and the emphasis of that cross something less than it ought to be. And maybe, you know, the cross gets pushed to the back of our Bible studies, or maybe it gets pushed to just on Easter, whatever the case might be, when we need to have the, the cross really central in everything that we do. And, and if we don't keep the cross in its right perspective, and really what it stood for and what it means, If we're not careful, our theology becomes, instead of the real message of the Messiah, it becomes like a hodgepodge morality code to where it's kind of taught week in and week out just based upon what someone's morality code is as to how we ought to live our lives instead of it being focused upon the cross of Jesus and what he did for us. The verse that we're looking at today we've already seen in this series Luke chapter nine twenty three, by the way, is just as true as John three sixteen. Although if you walk up on the street and ask somebody to tell me what John three sixteen says, you know, most people, probably you bump into in this area, will pretty much nail that one pretty much right. But then, you know, if this wasn't on the screen right now, and I just ask you, can you quote Luke chapter nine verse twenty three? I doubt if as many people could quote that as they could John three sixteen. And probably part of the reason is we wrestle a little bit with this thought where Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Because of our nature, we don't like self-denial and putting something first other than ourselves. He said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And when we see that thought of taking up the cross daily and we realize what the cross really represents, then maybe we push back on that a little bit. We're a little bit resistant of it, and yet it's just as true as John 3.16. So we are to believe in the Son of God that died for our sins. God so loved the world that He sent that Son. And He paid the price on the cross for our sins. So when we believe on Him, we can have everlasting life. But having believed, we need to follow Jesus. Having believed, we need to be willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Now, somebody asked me after the end of the first service this morning. They said, Well, I, you know, I understand what you say, but say, can you tell me what it means when it says we're to take up our cross? What is my cross? the person is asking. I'll tell them I had no idea because it's their cross. I do have this idea. That cross really means that we're putting Jesus first and everything else a second. So what he calls me to may be different than what he calls you to. So I can't necessarily tell you what your cross is other than the fact I think in a major portion of it it is us being obedient to whatever Christ calls us to do. That we're willing to step out and follow him. What did Jesus mean by this phrase then? What does he mean by taking up our cross daily and following him? Is he talking about a comfortable type cross or maybe something different? And to help us answer that, we're going to kind of look at three different views this morning. The first view we're going to look at is kind of the view of a fan. Someone that might just kind of be a fan of Jesus, but they're not really sold out to following Jesus. And then we're going to look at kind of a world view or how the world would view the cross. And then we're going to close out by looking at a follower's view, how you and I, if we are followers of Jesus, how we ought to follow the cross. So first of all this morning, let's look at this fan view. What do comfort craving fans? And you see, that's kind of embedded into our culture, into our nature, the world we live in, and we let it invade our faith, as I said a moment ago. So what do comfort craving fans do with something like the cross? Because after all, as Christians, it's kind of hard to avoid the cross because the cross is central to what we believe. It's hard to avoid the reality of the cross. It's hard to avoid what Jesus did for us on the cross. So what do we do with a phrase like this when Jesus tells us to take up our cross and follow him? You see, I think our danger is, because of how our culture is around us, that we fall into a fan mode, and we tend to make the cross something that's comfortable. After all, we put it on our t shirts, we put it maybe on our bumper stickers, we put it on our churches, we put it on our jewelry, and all of it kind of looks neat and nice and everything like that. When you view, you know, a nice golden shiny cross hanging around somebody's neck or whatever the case might be. We tend to make it a little bit more comfortable than what it ought to really be. I mean, people will do things with it, like take a phrase, you know, we all have our crosses to bear. I dealt with that back in the summer. We are doing a series in the summer called Jesus Said It, and we focused on that some because sometimes people will be running into a difficulty, like maybe they've got a mean boss, or maybe their finances aren't where they want it to be, or maybe they sprain their little finger, or whatever the case is, and we'll come up with this idea about what it means to carry our cross. And we'll say things like, Well, we've all got our cross to carry, and I sprained my little finger this work, and I guess, you know, at work this week, I guess it's my cross to, to bear. But see, the thing about it is it's not just something that happens to you. Jesus said you take it up. It's something that you are actually grabbing hold of and taking up. It's not just some event, some situation that you find yourself in. The way you make it kind of sound nice and calm and easy and say, well, we all have our cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is talking about. And because of the reality of what the cross is, like I said, we push it in the back of our Bible studies. We don't let it be as central as it ought to be. It shows up at Easter, you know, things like that every now and then. we might put it on our buildings and everything, our church buildings. And we've got that view of the cross. By the way, free side message i've had two or three people over the time that uh we've been in this building you know, come up and say well somebody asked me why day three does not have a steeple or a cross on it uh the simple answer is we have never put one there yet doesn't mean we never will but can i tell you what the real answer ought to be if somebody ever asks you that is that we want to be more focused on the cross being in our hearts and in our messages and what we teach here and we want our people to be pointing to Jesus instead of just a steeple that makes sense see we're the church the building's not we need to be the ones that's pointing to God we need to be the ones that's pointing to heaven that's a free side message because you may run into that question you say well the pastor said to answer it like this okay But we we do, we minimize what the cross ought to be about. We make it sound like it's something comfortable. And just maybe we do that because we start thinking about it being a hard sell. I mean, after all, if we start talking about all the tough things that Jesus said, like deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Him, instead of all the good things that Jesus talks about or the Bible talks about Jesus, like, you know, grace and mercy and love and faith and things like that, maybe it'll be hard to get converts, maybe it'll be hard to get people to want to come to church or be part of church or be part of, of Jesus and things like that if we start talking about things like taking your cross up. See, the reality is if we're not careful, we will we'll minimize the value of following Jesus. Watch the video clip.
0: Sometimes in an effort to get as many people as possible to follow Jesus, I have, with good intentions, made following Him sound as... Attractive, as appealing as possible. And so I've talked a lot about the unconditional joy, the peace that passes understanding, the grace and mercy that frees us from all of our guilt and shame. Those things are true and they are beautiful and they should be spoken of often. But I've realized. That I have been guilty of selling Jesus, of emphasizing only the parts about Jesus that I thought people would like. Imagine it this way. Imagine if my oldest daughter grows up and goes to college and after a number of years isn't married, but she really wants to be. And so I decide to help the process along. And I take out an ad in the newspaper and I put up a billboard sign and print up T-shirts begging someone to come and choose her. Wouldn't that cheapen who she is? Wouldn't that make it seem like they were doing her a favor? I would never do that. If you want to come and get to know her, you better come with everything you've got. Or I'll send you a packet.
1: You understand the illustration of that? Dads, how many of us would do something? You see, dads do exactly the opposite. When guys show up, we want to start cleaning our gun collection, polishing our knives and stuff like that as we talk to the dude, right? We're not necessarily wanting to make it easy for that person to hang around. And if they make it through that, they come back, maybe there's some value, you know, in, in making it through that. See, so if, we're, if we're not careful, he's talking about if, if his daughter, you know, got out of college and is not married yet and really wants to be, taking ads out and everything like that, just trying to get anybody, somebody, somehow, to be interested in his daughter. And by doing so, what he said in the video is this, it cheapens who she is. And see, we need to recognize that us sharing Jesus with people is more than just a public relations endeavor. We need to be telling. People, the truth about Jesus. It's not just that we're trying to tell them the good stuff. We need to tell them everything that Jesus says, everything that he's about. We need to hold forth the value and the worth of following Jesus. Not like we're real He's saying, will you please come and follow Jesus. We need to show there's value in following the one that loved us enough to die and suffer on the cross for us. We need to understand that we ought to challenge people to bring everything that they have if they're going to be a follower of Jesus. Just like he was saying, if you're going to date my daughter, you better show up with everything, come with all that you are. That's the way we need to be about Jesus. Where we're saying we're going to bring our all, all that we are, all of our being, all that we are, and we're going to follow him. But a fan doesn't tend to do that. A fan tends to kind of minimize the message of Carrying a cross daily. A fan likes to be comfortable and have a comfortable cross. Second thing I want you to see today is is this. We're going to look at a a worldview of the cross. Because Paul tells us that. Paul tells us several places in the New Testament how the world, in other words, how unbelievers, how someone that does not have faith in Jesus, how they view the cross, how they view the gospel message. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, In verse 18, we're just going to look at the first part of the verse. We'll catch the second part of the verse in a few moments. But the Bible says, therefore, the word of the cross or the message of the cross is folly. Some translations say foolishness for those who are perishing. The word folly or the word foolishness depends on your translation that you're reading. The word folly means silliness, absurdity, foolishness. The root word is moros from which we get, guess what, our English word? moron. So, so kind of to be honest with you, the unbelieving world kind of looks at anybody that wants to hold up the value of the cross in, in self-denial and in following Jesus, and they look at us like we're morons, like they can't figure out why in the world somebody with logic would want to do that. It comes from a root word that means to be dull or stupid, like to be shut up or heedless or even a, a blockhead is what the word meant. It also comes from a root word that we get our word mystery from or mystical from. And it means kind of something that's a mystery, to shut the mouth, a secret that's being kept. So, so here's the point of that. To the lost world, to people that don't understand the value of the cross and the meaning of the cross, and they don't have faith in what Jesus did for them on the cross, it's like it's a mystery. They just can't figure out why there ought to be value in. In the cross of Jesus. That's the way the world views it. The world has that type of view of the cross. Now why would that be the case? Why would the world view the cross like that? Why would the world have that type of view of the cross or the message of Jesus and think that's just, that's just foolishness, that's just folly? Part of it is this. In that day and time when Paul was writing those words, A cross did not mean what it means to us today. In that day and time, the cross was an element of suffering and even an element of weakness. The Bible even says that you're cursed if you die on a cross. And that's the way the world viewed it in that day and time. So here we are saying the gospel message is God became man lived a sinless life, went to the cross, died on the cross for our sins. And the world is like, we don't understand that. We don't think that makes sense to us. It's complete foolishness to us that God would become man and that God would send His Son to something they viewed as being so weak and in such a shame for someone to die upon as the cross. That's why the world views it like that. I mean, think about it like this. Why would God use a symbol of torture... To show the greatness of his son and the greatness of his gospel. See, it means something different to us today. We've we've dressed the cross up. It doesn't mean the same thing. If a first century Jew were to come visit some of our churches and walk into our churches and see illuminated crosses all over the place, you know what that first century Jew would think? Probably two things. Number one, they are sick. That's a bunch of sick people. Number two, they think, I am getting out of here before they use the cross on me. Would mean something completely different than what we view it today. They would see it as a threat that they themselves might be getting ready to be executed. Now, see, we're detached from that because we have to think of it in different terms. We see someone with a cross around their neck and we think, you know, oh, oh, how nice, (laughs) But the worldview of it, especially in that day and time, was not, oh, how nice. It would be the equivalent of you walking down the street and seeing somebody with a guillotine hanging around their neck. Does that make the point? Or wearing little earrings that look like electric chairs. Now, the sad thing is, I have probably met people in my life weird enough to do that. But it wouldn't look normal, would it? I mean, you would think, what is up with that person? They've got a guillotine around their neck, electric chair around their neck. What in the world is up with that person? That's the way the world in that day and time viewed the gospel message. That's why Paul says it's foolishness to them. It's like, you know, someone's wearing a means of execution around their neck. And it just did not make sense to them at all. And you see, here's the deal with that. That's God's point. You understand what I'm saying? God intentionally chose something that the rest of the world viewed as weakness in order to make it the greatest picture of strength of anything that's ever happened in the history of mankind. What the world thought was weak, Jesus being nailed to a cross. The Roman government even used that means of execution as a means of showing their power in the weakness of the person that they were executing. God looks at it and God says, you know what, I will use that. The rest of the world thinks that is something to be dreaded. That is something that that looks like weakness. I'm going to take that. I will take that and use that. Watch what I do with the cross. That was God's mentality. That's why God intentionally chose the cross. Because the worldview of it was, well, that's just foolish. That's just silly. God says, watch this, and he turns that thing that looked weak and silly into the power of salvation. Third view. We've seen a fan's view. Something to make it look comfortable, the cross, something easy. We've seen a world view, the way the world views the cross. How should followers of Christ view the cross? How should we who have believed in Jesus... How should we who have the desire to try and follow Him? How should we view the cross? Because our view of the cross ought to be different than the world view of the cross. And if you look at the second part of the verse that we read a moment ago, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, I'm going to read the first part of it again. But look what the verse says here. For the word or the message of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. That's the world's view. But... Our view as followers, our view as Christians ought to be this. But to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. It's not a symbol of weakness. It's not a symbol of shame for us. It's something that God has taken and he's transformed it to the degree that our view ought to be the cross is a view of God's power. The word power there is a Greek word dunamis which means just force, some miraculous power of some type. We get our English word dynamite or dynamo from the same word that it's built upon. So you might kind of say this, the cross, the message of the cross, the preaching of the cross, that's the dynamite of God's salvation. That's the dynamo or the dynamic of God's salvation. The cross itself and what Jesus did on the cross is what blasts away our sin guilt. That ought to be the way we view the cross that it is God's power unto salvation instead of thinking of it as something less than it ought to be. Paul also said this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, or to salvation, some translations say, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for it is the righteousness of God, for the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, or faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We ought to view the gospel like that. We ought to view the cross as it being completely God's power. We should never be ashamed of the cross. It ought to be something that we hold to, and it ought to be something that we don't just think about the cross that Jesus died upon. He tells us we're to take up our own cross. Can I remind you the cross that Jesus died upon was not some shiny gold ornament. It was not something in that day and time that had cushy, warm feelings attached to it. Jesus suffered and bled on a cross. And because he did that, that's God's power of salvation. God took something that all the world thought was weak and did the greatest thing that's ever happened. And we need to view the gospel in that way. We need to view it as God's power. We need to view the cross as God's power of salvation instead of letting it be something less than that. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22-25, through 25, For the Jews demand signs. And Greece, seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Notice this. A stumbling block is like a trap. They're tripping over it to the Jews because they saw the Messiah as being someone that's coming in on a white horse, a political leader, leading them to freedom. So it's a stumbling block for them. And the folly or foolishness, we already looked at what the word means to the Gentiles, to the unbelieving world. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God took what the world thought was weak and God turned it into a symbol of great strength. Look at these words that I'm going to bring up, these phrases that I'm bringing up for a minute. Who else can do this? Who else but God can take a cross that represented defeat? and turn it into a symbol of victory. You see, that's what the cross represented. You're nailed to a cross. You've been arrested. You've been tried. You're nailed to the cross. You're just going to die there, and we'll be done with you. That's the way the world viewed the cross. But God takes that, even though it's a symbol of defeat, and turns it into a symbol of victory. Who else but God could take the cross that represented guilt? Because the person nailed to the cross most of the time. They were guilty for what they had done. Jesus was sinless, and yet they crucified him anyway. But who could take that cross that represented being guilty in that day and time and turn it into a symbol of grace except for God? Who else but God can take a cross that represented condemnation and turn it into a symbol of freedom? Because it was anything but a symbol of freedom. You're there. You're nailed to it. You're ready to die. It represented being condemned. But God took the cross and turn it into a symbol of freedom. Who else but God could take the cross that represented pain and suffering and turn it into a symbol of healing and hope? Who else but God could take a cross that represented death and turn it into a symbol of life? God completely, radically changed the way the cross is viewed. And the most important thing that I want you to get this morning, because you're probably looking at your notes and you're thinking, oh, it's 20 after 11, he's already been through the third point. We're getting out early today. You know me better than that. (laughs) You probably will get out early, but not this early. Most important thing I want you to get today is this. And that's why the message is designed a little bit different. Kind of everything leading up to this point. What God did for the cross, He can do for you. God took what was viewed as a symbol of weakness and foolishness. And God transformed it into something glorious. God transformed it. He changed the view of what the cross is all about. And the same God that changed the cross to where it is no longer thought of in the way that it used to be, that same God can change your life and my life to where our lives are no longer thought of the way they used to be. He can transform my life to where other people can see what used to just be weakness, now is not strong because of me, but because of His power in my life because of the power of the gospel in my life he can transform your life to where other people would look at your life and see you know it shine like we think of the cross shining how glorious the cross is god can transform your life in that way to where he can take something that's weak and say look what i have done with something that everybody else sees as weak See, to be honest with you god enjoys i think he planned intentionally to do that God, God, didn't, God didn't choose the cross kind of in spite of it was being weak he chose it I think because it was weak look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27 but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God chose what is weak in the world To shame the strong. I've probably been guilty of saying this before, and you probably have too, or we think it sometimes. We think that God, in spite of the cross, chose it. I don't think that's the right way to phrase it. I think we ought to phrase it like I said a moment ago. Not in spite of the cross. God, because of what the cross represented, intentionally chose it. It was because it was a symbol of weakness. It was because it was a symbol of suffering. It is because of what it represented that I think Jesus intentionally chose it. God intentionally chose the cross because God loves to choose weak things. You want an illustration of that? Think about throughout the Bible. Think about the personalities of the Bible. Just to illustrate, Here's some of them. Abraham was what? Abraham was old. He was beyond the age of having children. And yet God used him to birth out a nation of followers. Jacob was insecure in his life, and yet God used him. He was all the time trying to manipulate and everything, and yet God used him. Leah was unattractive, and yet God used her. Joseph was humiliated because he had all these dreams of greatness, and then he's arrested and thrown in prison and humiliated with everything that he faced, and yet God used him. Moses stuttered and said, I can't go and speak for you. Send somebody else, and he stuttered, and yet God used him. God used these people again and again. Gideon claimed that he was too poor. Find somebody else. He was too little. Find somebody else. Samson was filled with pride and worldliness and kept on going the opposite direction and choosing sin over God's best for his life. But God found a way to use him. Rahab was a harlot and known for her immorality, and yet God used her. You'll find her name in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself when you read it in the Bible. David had an affair and then committed murder after the affair when she became pregnant trying to cover it up. And yet God used David. Jonah was disobedient. God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. He went the exact opposite direction and yet God took his life and used his life. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist to say the least was a little bit eccentric. If you go around just eating honey and locusts and wearing animal skin everywhere you go you're a little bit eccentric and yet God took him and he used him in a great way. Zacchaeus was unpopular and yet God chose him and used him. The Samaritan woman had many failed marriage and yet god used her peter was known for being hot tempered and yet god used him martha was worried a lot about stuff and yet god used martha paul was poor in health sometimes timothy was timid a lot and yet god used them thomas is known for his doubt and yet god used them do you get the picture all of them a bunch of misfits And yet God chose them intentionally, not in spite of, intentionally because of who they were. Because, you see, God does not want people looking at Abraham and Moses and saying, man, how great Abraham was. How great. No, God wants us to look at their lives and see the good, bad, and the ugly of their lives. And God wants us to say how great God is. God doesn't want anybody looking at you or me. Or day three or anything else and thinking, man, how God wants people to look at our lives and say how great God is. He wants people to see that he's taken us and our weakness, just like he took the cross, a symbol of weakness. And he transforms our lives as he's transformed the way we view the cross. God wants to transform our lives so people will view our lives differently than before. And it seems backward to us to think that way. Because, you see, the way we're taught in culture is to think, I'm strong. I can do it. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can handle it. I can take care of the issues I'm facing. I can deal with my junk in life when the truth of the matter is God wants us to admit we're weak so He can show up. He wants us to be honest and say, I can't do it. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 through 10. Paul writes these words. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, Paul had been kind of complaining about a weakness in his life, and he was hoping God would take it away. And God said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that, and you need to understand my grace is sufficient for you. And my power, God said, my power is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. So Paul said, therefore, I will boast. He's going to brag about it. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, when I, uh, for the sake of Christ, and I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, with calamities. But when I am weak, I am strong. The word for content that Paul uses there means this: it means to think well of. It means to approve an act, to be well pleased. As a matter of fact, the NIV translates it like this. I delight in weakness. See, that goes against our mentality, doesn't it? How many of you ever really been happy that you were weak? Happy that you were without strength? Happy that you just couldn't do something? Because we're taught by our culture the exact opposite. Go get a self-help book and read it and figure out how to do it yourself. We we don't like having to admit that we cannot handle it. We don't like having to admit that we're weak. We like trying to claim that we're strong and hold on to it. A question that's asked a lot of times in job interviews, especially if it's an interviewer that kind of knows his stuff. In a job interview, somebody might well ask you this question because they want to know if you're self-aware and if you figured yourself out a little bit, and if you'll be honest. And you might be sitting there dreading it. Out of all the questions, you're having a job interview, then this question pops up. Tell me your greatest weakness. See, we don't like that one. And part of the reason is this. If we say, well, I show up late all the time, so I procrastinate a lot, guess what? They're not going to hire you. If you say, well, I just don't get along with fellow co-workers. As a matter of fact, I don't like authority, and I don't like anybody telling me what to do then the fellow that's interviewing you to be your boss probably is not going to hire you. So since we don't like saying what our real weakness is, we will twist it around and we'll make something that is really a strength sound like it's a weakness and we'll say something like, well, you know, I'm kind of a perfectionist, so if I get something there late, it's not that I was procrastinating, it's that I wanted to be perfect before I turned it in. Or we'll say, well, I'm a workaholic, and I, you know, we're hoping they'll buy, and we'll try and make those things sound like they're weaknesses. You see, that's not the way God wants us to deal with Him in our lives. God wants us to admit up front, I'm weak, I can't do it, because when we're in that position, we're exactly where God wants us to be, because we're where God can show up in our lives and show His strength and show His power. Instead of us thinking we can do it. stat I read this week, about 2,000 books a year that are written every year are self-help books. You can do it yourself. Dig down deep. Look inside of you. You can figure it out. You can handle all the issues in your life. Look within. And yet Paul tells us this, real strength comes from our weaknesses. Some of you know this, some of you don't. jessica my oldest daughter and uh, her husband matt uh they had sold the home they bought a home been in it for about five years somehow in this housing market sold it and uh it was kind of good that they could sell it because in this housing market you can turn around and buy a pretty nice house you know so uh, they're wanting a little bit more land a little bit of privacy uh they lived on like a main road where they lived before and uh you know matt had a marked patrol car there and Jessica had an unmarked patrol car there and people riding by throwing beer bottles at them you know during the weekend you know all in the yard trying to hit their cars and things like that so they wanted a little bit more privacy a little bit more land so anyway they sold their house and uh, they found a, a place that was a really good buy I mean I'm jealous that I didn't sell my house and buy it's got nine and a half acres and they got almost like for the price of the land almost it's almost like the house it was built in 73 needs a few upgrades you know, a brick ranch house needs some upgrades and updates and things like that, but they, they got a steal in this thing. I mean, really did. Well, this week I've been helping them move and paint walls and things like that. They uh, had one of the bedrooms was dark hunter green. They wanted it painted light baby blue for Drew, my grandson. So I'm all about things for my grandson, so I'm thinking, all right, I'll go in there and I'll paint that room. If you ever, ever buy a house and it has a dark hunter green wall and you ask me to paint it, I will refuse. Don't call me. On top of it, having about the third coat into it, we figure out the guy that owned the house before had put the dark hunter green paint on top of paneling without having to rough the paneling up. And now the paint that was underneath it, that green paint, is also pulling away with the blue paint from the paneling. And like three coats in, I'm having to peel sections of it off from one piece of the panel to the other and then having to repaint it all. One night, my wife's in the corner about to cry. I'm thinking about inviting everybody, please leave the house a minute so you won't figure out a preacher cusses every now and then. Just joking. But uh, so we've been over there all week doing stuff, you know, like that, trying to get them uh, help out. Anyway, I had my car loaded with some things that needed to go down. There's a a really nice barn built just a few years ago, not like your regular barn, but a barn with a concrete, uh, you know, floor in it and, you know, two-car garage going into it and things. You could actually, you know, go in and enjoy instead of just dust and dirt and all in it. So I'm pulling down there to get some things out of my car and unload. And uh, after I pulled down, Jessica evidently found this huge bag of clothes That were old clothes that she didn't want in the house. Instead, she wanted it down in the barn. So I've already pulled up and I look up, and Jessica has given it to Bethany, who, by the way, is our smallest child, not age wise, but size wise this huge bag of clothes to carry down the hill, down to the barn. So, you know, I look up, and she's struggling, and she's carrying it and everything like that, and she gets so far down the hill, and she kind of drops it, and she looks at me, doesn't say anything at that point. I'm waiting. She doesn't say anything. She just kind of drops it. So she picks it back up, and she carries it a little bit further, and then she drops it again, and then she looks at me, and she says, will you help me carry this? And I did what any compassionate dad would do. I went over and I picked it up. I curled it. I made fun of her for how weak she was and how light it was and and, uh, and everything like that. No, it was, it was heavy. It was really heavy. But see, the reason I tell all that story is this. She received my help when she admitted that she was struggling with it. And you and I, if you know Christ as your Savior, we have a Heavenly Father who wants us To drop the stinking bag. He wants us to quit pretending that we can do it. He wants us to drop the load, and he wants us to invite him into the situation. So in our weakness, he can show up in his strength. Guys, I don't know about you, I. I don't want to depend on myself. See, I know myself better than you do. And I know the failures that I've had and the thoughts that I have sometimes and things like that. I don't want to depend upon myself at all. I want to admit that I'm weak and depend upon His power. I was joking about me curling the weight and everything like that. You know what? The worst thing in the world that could possibly happen in your life or my life. God can just do with it like that. It's Nothing to Him. God wants us to admit that we're weak. The cross was a symbol of weakness. God took it and changed it into a symbol of His glory. God wants to take our lives, your life, and my life, and He wants to transform it into a symbol of glory. But the test is for us as followers, is whether we will turn loose of it. So we need to be willing to turn loose of comfort. We need to be willing to turn loose of this comfortable idea of the cross. We need to to turn loose of trying to be in control. We need to We need to glory not in our strengths and our accomplishments and our paychecks and our trophies, whatever they might be, but we need to glory in Jesus and God and what He can do in our lives. We need to quit trying to earn our co-workers approval or whatever that might be and, 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 and abandon this comfortable version of the cross because it's then that God wants to show up in our lives. Just like He changed the cross, He wants to change our lives. And when we admit that we can't do it, you might be hanging on by your last thread, but God can come in and bolster you and help you and show up in His strength and His power in a moment of your weakness. In the midst of all of our defeat, God can show up with His power and His authority. People in that day, in that first century of the church except the believers that were understanding the power of the gospel, the power of the cross and what it meant. The culture of that day and time viewed the cross as something weak and something foolish. But God changed it to where now in our world, in our culture that we live in, even non-believers understand the symbol of the cross is a picture of faith you realize that? Would it not be great if God, if we would allow Him to transform our lives, if we would so follow Jesus, if we would take up our cross and follow Him, that God would so transform our lives that just as people view the cross differently, they view it as a great statement of faith, Wouldn't it be great if we let God change our lives to the degree that people could look at our lives like they look at the cross and realize our lives are a great statement of faith. Let's pray. His bow and eyes closed. I want to ask you to consider doing this. If you already know Christ as your Savior, I'm going to pray something in just a moment. And uh, you know, I've prayed out loud, but I, I, I hope that you'll consider this and that you'll pray it in your heart to God. Pray something like this God, do, do in my life what you did with the cross. Just invite Him to do that. Ask Him. Say, God, do, do in my life, do in our lives, do in our church. God, what you did with the cross. God, help people to see our lives to be be statements of faith. Help us to so take up our cross and follow you. God, help us to turn loose of, of comfort and worry about how comfortable we are. Help us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you. That you can transform our lives in a way that people look at our lives and see your greatness. And see your glory because of what you've done in our lives. God, do in our lives what you've done with the cross. If you're someone that's never received Christ as Savior. Maybe you're someone that had thought the cross to be foolishness. Maybe you need to pray right now. Admit that you're weak. Admit that you can't work your way to heaven. You can't be good enough to go to heaven. Admit your weakness before God. And depend upon His strength. Depend upon the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Depend upon God's power. Upon the cross, being His power to salvation. Turn loose of your good works. Quit trying to save yourself and pray right now and just ask God. To save you by his power. Through the work that Jesus did on the cross. Father we ask these things in your name. Amen. Some questions on the screen. Uh, Be The last slide Lynn. Uh, What will you do with the cross then? That's what we've talked about today. Will you try to make it sound comfortable? In other words, are we more interested in making it sound so comfortable that we can be popular with people and get people just to sign up and join up? Or are we going to tell people the truth of the cross? That Jesus suffered and he died, and that's what it represents. Are you going to view the the cross as foolishness? I mean, think that's illogical. Don't make any sense to me. Is that where you're just going to stay in your life and just... View it as something foolish? Or will you see it as the power of God and ask Him to transform transform your own life as a symbol of God's power? See, that's an invitation that's open to people that already know Jesus and people that don't know Jesus. Because if you never trusted Christ as your Savior, You need to understand you can't do it, to drop it, quit trying to do it, quit trying to work your way to heaven, and depend upon the cross and the power of God to save you. And those of us that have already done that, that have already trusted in Jesus, we still can be involved in this invitation at this level. You and I need to just say, God, I'm willing to deny myself, follow you. I want you to change me, change my life, so people will see my life as a symbol of faith like they see the cross. Please stand. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come.
0: You are listening to sermon audio from Day Three Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at And for more information, find us on the web at daythreechurch.com.